0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Long COVID Hour. Uh, This week, we are going to be talking about the amazing moonshot campaign action that we did on Tuesday last week. Uh, And we'll talk about how that went and where we want to go next to keep the uh, momentum going with this campaign and get that moonshot money for us. Uh, But first, the ceremonial reading of the rules, the rules for the long COVID hour, if anyone's not familiar by now, are no misinformation, no hate, no attacks on patients, allies, or participants. And um, that one seems to be a sticking point for some people. So, Uh, (laughs) and uh, no minimizing COVID or long COVID. And three-minute max uninterrupted speaking time, which can also be a sticking point. On, on that last one, um, if you're talking and you hit three minutes, I'll, I'll just give you like an emoji reaction to let you know your time is up. And hopefully I won't have to come in and interrupt. Um, okay, well, with that out of the way, um, let's talk about this moonshot. And um, at this point, if anybody wants to come up and join me to talk about it, just raise your hand or ask for us uh, to be a speaker, and I'll bring you up. So on Tuesday, um, I I don't know if everyone here participated in this. We did a uh, national action in the United States for um, to call our Congress men and women are members of Congress to demand a long COVID moonshot, which would be $1 billion or more per year for the next 10 years to go toward long COVID research. And that would, um, you know, allow all the amazing researchers that are currently working to continue their work and for, uh, uh, you know, to really open up a new field that would bring in new talent, and uh, give us the best chance of finding treatments or maybe even a cure for long COVID. Um, A lot of people participated. We had definitely hundreds of calls, uh, hundreds of people participating and everyone made uh, three calls, two just their senators and one to a member of Congress. So um, we easily could have had over a thousand calls on Tuesday. And we heard some great stories from people who um, talk to staffers who thought they had long COVID themselves, or um, had not heard of long COVID, and that this was the first time that they were learning something about it, and we're going to go learn some more. So I, we think it already made an impact. And then beyond that, it was um, it was just like a great activity for the community to do. It was much more positive than um, you know just complaining or infighting. Uh, so we're hoping that it's the first of many such actions and that, uh, we keep up the momentum until we get what we're demanding, but, uh, we'll see where it goes. That's what we're going to talk about today. All right. Anyone want to come up and chat about it? I see some of the, uh, other members of the, like, moonshot organizing team are here. And um, I guess the question is, like, there's kind of two questions, like, how did it go for you on Tuesday if you participated? And um, the second question is, you know, what else do you think we could do as a community to keep up the pressure on Congress to pass, um, you know, uh, some, like, legislation or language within an appropriations bill about uh, long COVID research funding? Um, And uh, if nobody else is coming up, I will ask, can I see like a a show of hands if you made your calls on Tuesday? We can see how many of us did that. I see um, Denise, Dennis, Claudia, Olenka. Awesome. Yeah, I figured Claudia did it because she was on the organizing team with us. So that would have been bad, and Lisa, yeah, and Lisa, of course, is the um, the author of the uh, paper in Nature that started this all. So that's really cool to have you here with us today, and uh, really cool that you participated in the action we organized. All right, well, well, don't make me uh, stand up here by myself talking about this. I'm I'm going to run out of things to say and. Uh, uh, we're going to have a very short conversation. Oh, just one, um, one announcement. Um, I tweeted about this, but, uh, the, the, there, there were some requests that I got as DMS from people who, um, couldn't make the long COVID hour and wanted to listen back, but we're having like technical difficulties on Twitter. So I've made it available as a podcast I, I took the recordings and uploaded them to Spotify, and they release it to all the other platforms. So, um, if that's helpful to you, let me know, uh, and I'll I'll keep doing that. So you should be able to find it on, um, uh, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. All right. Hey Ezra and Dennis, you guys can jump
1: in. Sure. Um, hey Daniel. Uh, hey everybody. Since everybody was being quiet, hey, I, was right. I thought I would just. Thanks really quickly share my experience it was super easy had good I got through two staffers um here in California and everybody was they weren't they were very nice and I think that like overall it was really awesome to listen into the the space on Tuesday it was really meaningful like to be working together on something like that that feeling of just like working together and asking for what we want um, was just really powerful for me personally. Like gave me a a very different feeling for like the entire rest of the day. And it was a good feeling. And so, you know, um, and and I got a lot of really positive comments from friends who also called in and stuff, so it was just great. And I think what I'm going to try to resolve to do in terms of what I want to do next is I'm going to do it every week because it really only took about 10 minutes and I can spare that time. So that's kind of my my follow-up i think it'd be a good way just for me personally just to stay engaged and make sure that um the folks on the phones know that we're not going to stop calling so that's uh, that's what i'm thinking
0: yeah awesome uh every week that's a commitment i'm afraid of commitment but that i think that's a great idea dennis did you wanna
2: yeah can everybody hear me it's my first time talking Okay, yeah. Great. Welcome. Hey, welcome. thank you. Um, I, I made a couple calls, and uh, they were just met with. Uh, we are out of the office working remotely, uh, but I, I, I always continue. I, I go nonstop. I've got a job that allows me to do that, and I, I, I actually, if you look at my bio and, and my posts, I basically have one post about long COVID, and it's by a medical doctor. It's hard to hard to imagine, but and he's not cured long COVID without a doubt nothing like that. But the coughing component, the post-viral cough for the post-COVID and long COVID cough, he actually has, uh, I think it's linked, if not, it's on habitcough.com. He has the first peer-reviewed and published paper that includes references to cures, not just a treatment, but the most unusual cure at no cost for uh, post-COVID cough including long COVID cough, and he's been doing this for years, for, since 1991, from University of Iowa, where he founded, same as Dr. Miles Weinberger, he's a pediatric pulmonologist. He founded and ran the cough cure clinic at the University of Iowa. Started off as the cough clinic, then he started curing people with a, a, a process that a medical doctor from Boston came up with in the, in the 60s. And for the last year and a half, we've been notating all of the submissions to the website or, or for him to consult with these folks, which he does for free because he's retired and a researcher now. And uh, at one point, I, I, I said to him, Dr. Weinberger, because I'm, I'm his research director. I said, Dr. Weinberger, I believe we have enough uh, people who have reported cures from long COVID. Great example. And we made a documentary and towards the end of it is a lady from uh, from Fishers, Indiana, completely unsolicited. Everything we get is unsolicited. She had three years of long COVID. She was hopeless, helpless, forsaken, lost, and desperate. I don't know what other things she may have had, but she followed Dr. Weinberg's incredibly simple and unusual, but highly effective procedures. He doesn't do hypnotism, but he the original name for a post-viral cough was a habit cough, H-A-B-I-T, like a bad habit. And she said she watched the video, and again, nothing's for sale on the website. It's a patient advocacy website and a research website. But she followed the simple procedure, and after three years, she was uh, cured from her um, her long COVID cough. I don't know, it, it doesn't help any other comorbidity, but if you're coughing and, and you're cracking ribs or, you know, and, and so forth, it.
0: Hey, Dennis, did you want to finish oh, your thoughts yeah. here? Thank you
2: very much. Uh, and if you get bored, uh, again, it's up and on the website for sale. It's all for the patient. It's called habitcough.com. So thank you for, for having me. I'm going to listen up now. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, thanks for making some calls. Uh, anyone else want to come in and, and talk about their experience on Tuesday or um, where we want to go next? Uh, <laughs> Okay, my uh, my girlfriend's mom is here next to me, and she wants to uh, she wants to jump in. Her name is uh, Jackie Rubenstein,
3: and I'm jumping in. So my husband and I made our calls, and I'm very reticent to do things like this. I maybe have just one other time before, but I made my calls. I had to go in a room alone so no one could hear me because I get so nervous doing things like that. And as soon as, as I started talking, I had the script in front of me, which was wonderful to have, but I just went all personal and started going on. And then I started—I burst out crying on all of my calls. And the aides that were listening were very solicitous and very nice and wanted to know no more. And so once they were engaged, because I was crying, I went through the script and did all the numbers that I've heard from being in this space and um it was it ended up being very effective and i think they really heard me and i just wouldn't have done this without this community you know doing it even the, even with the horrible experience so it's been very helpful and i hope it ends up making a difference
0: thank you okay uh claudia i saw you came on i did Good to see you
4: Thank you, Jackie. That was so awesome. That's like the perfect intro to what I wanted to talk about a little bit, which is that starting to build this campaign, something that's really important to me is not only refusing to be invisible to our elected reps and our legislators, but also not being invisible to our friends and family. And something that's happening right now is that you know we're, we're sort of alive, but we're not really alive. We can't participate in life with people And we kind of get siloed in our bedrooms and it's, it's painful to look at us. Our loved ones feel really helpless. They don't know what to do. Um, You'll notice that every time you talk to somebody, if they believe you in long COVID in the first place, the second thing that they do is come out with a million different remedies. I got cousins mailing me lotion. Like that's going to cure my neuropathy. You know, it's just, yeah, it's just, and they mean really well, but they feel so helpless. They feel so disempowered and we become kind of, this really sad thing in their life. And I want to take that away because I think that it contributes to us being marginalized emotionally. And I think the holidays is a really big grinder of that. I think we're all feeling that right now that we can't participate. And it's not like our families look at us like somebody that passed away and they grieve it and they have a funeral and they have a ceremony and they all talk about it. They don't talk about us because it feels awful. Or if they do, it's like two ants in a darkened room like, oh, God, what happened to her? You know, so I think that doing actions like this and making it really accessible opens up this world where our family can take those feelings and put them to use and can, you know, my mom was very weirded out when I first got sick because I got sick. I actually had a a spike vaccine reaction at first and then I got sick off COVID as well. So everybody, and this was in 2021. So everybody was like, I don't know what's wrong with her. Now that they can lean into this identity of like, Hey, my loved one is sick. You guys need to do something about this. This is so upsetting. This is so sad. This is happening. Look at her. Like I'm the mom of a sick kid. That has really helped me be visible and it's helped to sort of, um, you know, activate my friends and my family and loved ones to fight for us too. Cause it is going to take more than just us. So that's just kind of like a really good side effect that I found. Um, it was a campaign that I was able to like more portably take to people one-on-one one-on-one and explain like what I wanted them to do and that it's really not any harder than, ordering a pizza, which I know for us millennials and millennial cuspers can be also a challenge. But once you get on the phone, you know, just let the emotions flow and it works. And I think that we can keep building on this because that those emotions aren't going to go away until we're feeling better. We're still going to be this kind of sore point in our family. So that's kind of my touchy feely spiel on kind of some of the emotional component behind, um, other things that the campaign can achieve, right? Because we know that they weren't going to uh, roll into the office today on their two-day week and suddenly give us $10 billion. But the point is to get in the habit of it, to keep applying pressure, to all work together,
0: and to keep building towards something that gets us somewhere. So thank you. Claudia, do you think as we think about like our next action or future actions, they should also be ones that anyone can participate in really easily as opposed to like something where we're taking some like more extreme action of like planning an in-person protest or something like that
4: I mean I don't think that's off the table but I think that it is really important to give as many people as possible the chance to participate in something I mean I know that there, you know, people do want to go to DC and stuff. And I think that's also really important. Um, I, you know, I think that anybody who's able, we saw that our friend Joaquin, who's leading the charge for masks and healthcare in LA, has had really good response with standing outside with signs um and being really committed to like an on-site demonstration every day. So I think all of those aspects are really important. I think that one of the things we're trying to be mindful of is the energy envelope that a lot of us work in and try to make sure that there always is, um, like a very low spoon alternative. So, you know, even on the call campaign, giving, you know, email alternatives, we're going to hopefully try to look into some like texting alternatives in the future and just other things that you can do to just keep getting your voice heard, even on those days when you can like not roll over in bed.
0: Yeah, I like that. So maybe it's a both and. Uh, Cool. Okay. Well, we got a couple of other speakers who came on. I think, um, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but I see your handle is Amolane. If you want to go ahead.
5: Hi, uh, my name's Amanda. Uh, Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, we can hear uh, you. uh, Sorry, this is a
5: new laptop. Um, I uh, got long COVID uh, at the beginning of November 2022, uh, and then I got fibromyalgia, type symptoms as a result of that and uh, neuropathy uh extreme exhaustion um uh in bed uh, a lot of the time uh just feeling like you know totally worn out um like i just you know totally just totally drained all the time and um i, I just wanted to briefly say i'm i'm really happy to have found this community and um, what you're doing, especially getting articles published in Nature, et cetera, and making calls to Congress is, is uh, wonderful to see. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, and uh, live long and prosper, everybody, because this is a really hard condition to live with. And uh, I know that now uh, firsthand. So thank you.
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks for joining us. And uh,
6: Nate yeah um i just <clears throat> i'm loving hearing you know the stories of empowerment people are talking about and um <clears throat> i uh one thing that i'm thinking about hearing hearing what claudia was saying and daniel what you were saying is um and we talked a little bit about this uh, over text as well is just like um giving a sort of menu of different things for people to engage in depending on the capacity that they have available to them. So if you have 30 seconds, send an email. If you have a few minutes, make a call. If you have an hour, you know, and thinking about what those bigger things are too because there are people that do have that capacity as well and then figuring out like when to sort of boost or make asks of of for each of those things. Um, I think is going to be really crucial to keeping the momentum going so that people can so that there's always a a, a sort of bite-sized action for exactly how much energy somebody has um, so that, you know, we can really keep the momentum going, I think is going to be uh, crucial.
0: Yeah, I think we want a lot of people to participate and to, like, grow the numbers of people who are involved, not just get the group that we had the first time to keep going. So um, yeah, I think making it as accessible as possible is crucial to making that happen. Do you have any thoughts about, um, you know, like what kinds of actions we might wanna do in the future? Do, are we just gonna do this again and get better at it and get bigger? Or, you know, should we come up with other things to do?
6: Um, I mean, I think the call our like the, the call action is a really great like foundation because it's so accessible. And so and and such a great like uh, base to build from. And so I think figuring out like, you know, and there are ways to build that in and make it like fun, like there could be like a regular zoom or something where people get on and just chat and then everybody goes on mute for a few minutes and makes a call like there are ways to build routine out of it that could be just like also sort of community building and then from there um so i think with that as a base there are all kinds of things that could that could come from that like you know potentially down the road some kind of in-person action or like other kinds of creative ways of of communication like there's been talk about letters and cards and and i think all of those things could be really exciting if there's energy but having some just sort of like base unit of this which could be like a regular call time I think would be a really great way of just keeping the momentum going.
0: Yeah, I do I know that it's um like so so much harder for us to do an in-person action, but I think even if we could do one at some point, it would supercharge what we're doing here. And like we could get some great pictures out of it and Uh I feel like we still see the like millions missing pictures from a year ago in every news article. Um, I think we need to do more for like this moonshot thing to do that. And like get out in the press somehow and media. I, I think it's good for us, which admittedly are a pretty small group of people who are really politically active when it comes to long COVID, to go call. And it's another thing to have that amplified by getting some press coverage. So I, I think whatever we do needs to, like, be crafted in a way that uh, it would be newsworthy. Um, all right. Anyone else want to come up and share their experiences with the Moonshot or, or thoughts for uh, future actions? Or I should say, you know, as is always the case with the long COVID hour, um, if there's, you know, something else about long COVID that you want to come up and talk about, that is always fine. I just try to have a topic each week, so we have, like, something to talk about. Um, All right. Well, if we have a pause in the conversation, I uh, also mentioned this in a tweet, um, but the next movie for the, like, we've been doing, like, a film discussion once a month. The next one is going to be a fun one. Uh, The votes came in for The Hunger Games. And I'm curious to see how we're going to relate that to long COVID. So go watch the Hunger Games sometime in the next couple of weeks before that. Okay, but back to the long COVID hour. Um, I think there was some chatter in our group about the holiday cards. And I wonder if that was something that we wanted to, uh, like, have – get get some, like – um. No, we're not doing the holiday cards? Okay. Uh, Gloria, do you want to go?
7: Hi. Yeah, I just had a question about uh, long COVID and uh, sleep, specifically uh, circadian rhythm disruption. Um, Has there been any, um, I know there's been a lot of research done on insomnia Um, as well as, you know, other uh, sleep issues surrounding long COVID. Uh, But has there been um, anything in regards to circadian rhythm dysfunction? I'm just curious, as I believe um, my daughter's circadian rhythm uh, dysfunction um, is a result of her COVID infection, as well as some other uh, long COVID complications. But uh, mostly uh, the biggest issue we have is uh, we've we've been diagnosed with circadian rhythm dysfunction and uh, uh, definitely a, a, a rare disorder. So just curious if there has been any long COVID research around circadian rhythm.
0: Yeah, I don't know about that specifically. I know that people with long COVID often have their circadian rhythm altered to the point where they like stay up much of the night and then sleep in late into the day. Um, But I'm not sure what's driving that. If anybody else has any insight into that, feel free to uh, bring that up. Claudia, were you putting a thumbs down on the um, holiday card thing? Okay. All right. We uh, we won't talk about that yet. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I would like to – maybe it's because I have ADHD and I just, like, crave novelty. But I feel like I want to see uh, more different actions over time. And, like, I think the calls is probably the best one just because it's doable and we've seen it be successful and we're reaching the members of Congress almost directly. But um, I just crave novelty, and I feel like we, we should keep it mixed up. And I maybe that will keep people more interested and involved too. Um, all right, anybody else want to come up? I, I do see some of our um, moonshot people here. Uh, Nate, you're back hey Nate yeah
6: hey, that I uh, you know it, chances are if if you feel that way, you're far from the only one and so I think it's a it's a great point that you know also coming up with new like new ways to capture people's attention and keep people's attention uh, is just sort of like it, it's strategic if it makes people feel interested because you know, odds are you're, you're far from the only one who, who feels that way.
0: Yeah. Though, on the other hand, I think, um, a lot of what kept my attention this time was the amazing art and graphic design that was coming out related to it. There was like so much creativity in that. And, um, I think there's a lot of creativity in the community that's still left to be seen. So I wonder like, if as as long as we're allowing ourselves to be creative in some way and creating you know something interesting like that, if the endpoint is still the same action, uh, you know maybe that will keep our attention and our energy going. Like really cool stuff came out that um, that animation of the rocket ship taking off. I literally could watch that forever. Uh, Jackie is back
3: (laughs) I want to second that on the creativity and the way you guys made it so accessible I was able to just take that link and put it on my Facebook and people who you know I was friends with in high school or anything they were able to so easily get it and then told me done they had made the calls so whatever actions you end up taking if you're able to make it as shareable as that then we can expand the community Beyond people who are just themselves personally affected, as far as they know <laughs> as of yet, and grab a lot more people in to participate,
0: and you think it was like the visual
3: the visual was was really helpful. but yeah. you know, I shared that right on my Facebook. I think that that grabbed it for people rather than just saying, "Please read this something and see if you can do something for some." But you know, it did grab it. It was very easy to open it up. And then when you had the very useful script there, people didn't have to spend much energy to participate and help advocate. So whatever action you do, I hope that that will continue on to be able to be shareable easily that way. Yeah.
0: So make it easy not just to participate in the action itself, but make it easy to get the word out. Right. In, in a, like a really effective way. Right.
3: And then once you grab people who might not have been involved in the first place, then they have ownership in it. Oh, you know, so they did this very easy thing to do. Well, now they're a part of it and they're ready to do more and they're ready to talk to other people that they did it. You know, like the election letter writing campaigns, you know, and people do that. And then, you know, it builds on each other. And and in that way, you expand the community.
0: Yeah, a great point. Thanks. Uh, okay. Uh, Cindy?
8: Hi, Daniel. Thanks. I had you guys in my pocket, so I don't know who was talking about uh, circadian rhythm, uh, but just briefly, uh, the circadian rhythms, they're, they're regulated by small nuclei in the hypothalamus, and post-mortem studies have repeatedly shown direct hypothalamic injury induced by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So there's definitely a connection. I think there's some papers, but are they targeted towards that connection specifically? Uh, I'm unsure. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, Also, I'm in Canada, so I don't think I can call anyone on this behalf. But if Canadians or people out of country can call, let me know.
0: Yeah, we haven't talked about this, but, you know, you you have representatives in Canada as well, and and Canada could fund some long COVID research. I, I don't think it would be the exact same moonshot program that we're advocating for in the United States, but um, it doesn't mean, like, research can only happen in the United States. Uh, but, yeah, I think the main thing for people outside the U.S., if you're focused on helping get a research program in the United States going, that would be... To help just get the word out within the United States, if you if you know people here. But but there's other things behind the scenes you can help with, like creating the graphics and doing the design work um, that other people can share. Okay, cool. And then uh Spoonie or Spoonies United. One moment. I am parking. Okay, take your time. What you want just raise your hand when you're ready. Um, All right, cool. And then thanks for answering that question about circadian rhythm, Cindy. I didn't know what to say there. Uh, Anyone else want to come up and join us? Oh, good. You're ready. Spoonies United, go ahead.
1: Yes, my question is for, I guess, anybody involved in the Moonshot campaign. Um, And anybody who helped draft HR 1114, I'm wondering why there were no appropriations set aside for pediatric long COVID research for children. And I'm also wondering why you and maybe your cronies love to quash dissent so much on the platform. And anybody that... All right.
0: I... That didn't seem like he was really trying to participate. Uh, Bree? Hey, Bree.
9: Hey, I was just going to reply to that um, person because I know that voice. I recognize it. Um, I know what that was an alt account. Um, and that was Fellini on his, one of his many troll accounts. And if he wants to come back up and engage in a discussion, I would, you know, like, if you want to allow that at some point, just let me know.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, not, not right now. Uh, Gloria.
7: Um, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, mention to, uh, Cindy. Cindy. Um, thank you very much. Um, I've read uh, a few studies so far on circadian rhythm and, uh, and COVID. Um, so um, I know they're definitely doing some research on it. And I'm, I'm definitely looking to find more. I meet with my uh, daughter's uh, specialist on Wednesday. So I'm going to be uh, checking with him. Uh, Because, you know, kind of like with anything else, uh, trying to get a diagnosis that the actual COVID infection was the catalyst um, is always a a very challenging thing. I'm in Canada as well. And with socialized medicine, it makes it even more difficult. So um, I haven't seen a lot uh, going on with our government and with the funding of long COVID or pretty much any actual research uh, relating. Uh, to the disease. So uh, definitely something we need to do over here in Canada. So I'm glad you guys are doing something in America.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, the U.S. is like where most medical research happens in the world. Obviously, there's some in in Europe and in Asia as well, but uh, the U.S. is by far where most of it happens. Claudia? Claudia?
4: Yeah, I just want to say we have had a lot of international interest in getting other campaigns like this going. And I think that it is there's it's just a point of difference. There's you can do activism by, you know, convening a group and thinking of the things that you want and then going and asking for them or an alternate version is you can go out and find things that are already in process that would be helpful to you and then get a group together to boost them. And so that's kind of what we did, you know, finding this article that really fit a set of needs for us that seemed achievable and then finding some other bills in process that we felt would also benefit long COVID people and then just kind of running a like campaign on that. So I think that that's really doable. It's just a matter of going out and finding who, you know, you've got to have a couple people in every legislature that are on your side. And start, you know, get your fingers in that oyster and start cracking it because they're definitely not coming to us to help us. We have to go to them.
0: Yeah. Get that uh, tasty, tasty oyster meat. I've never had oysters. Are they good? I don't know.
4: Yeah, I'm a vegetarian.
0: I'm
4: like, that's mean, but I hear that's what you do. <laughs> so we'll talk about walnuts next time or pistachios. or
0: something. Oh, OK. Yeah. Get that sweet, sweet pistachio meat. Um, yeah, I was, on the we've we've gotten an interest from people outside the U.S. both about like this moonshot specifically and um, long COVID advocacy in general. I like it just as like because of the long COVID hour, people have DM'd me and been like, "Oh, can we do this in Germany?" And um, I think we're going to do like an international um, one of these where we talk about like sharing. Uh, ideas or best practices across countries. So, we'll, like on a Sunday afternoon when it's um, a better time for Europe, we'll do that. And obviously, any time that's good for us is good for Canada. So, you guys are welcome as well. Yeah. And uh, let me know if there's interest in that. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that will look like. Cindy, yeah, you can jump in.
8: Oh well, thanks. Yeah, in Canada, there's um, long COVID research happening through the government of Canada, through Laboratories Canada. Um, and they just connect uh, a lot of different research avenues uh, to try to um, make sure it's accessible and they get the most funding they can for people. So there is some stuff going on. There's a lot of trials going on with different things. Um, so they're they're. They don't get the money, obviously, that the United States does, but it's not like nothing is happening here.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think I've heard the Resolve Therapeutics trial is in Canada. I may be misremembering that, but there's there's definitely stuff going on in Canada. There's just always more room for more in whatever country it is.
7: Uh, there well, it's hard anywhere. to get into here too, right? So there was a, a long period where you had to have a positive COVID test to enter into any of the uh, long COVID programs. And a bunch of the long COVID programs, at least in Ontario, instead of expanding them, uh, they shut a few of them down. So uh, it's just, I'm not saying there isn't anything. I'm just saying it's incredibly challenging. And with the large amount of people uh, between long COVID, and then you've got those that have um, injury, which, you know, is similar to long COVID, Uh, you've got a lot of people who need services that are just not widely available is more of uh, what I meant. I didn't mean there's nothing. I just mean there is definitely not enough.
0: Yeah, on the the clinical side, especially not, uh, the demand is so much greater than any small number of clinics in a few cities could possibly provide uh, support for but um, I think we were I think Cindy was Talking about research but They they, they kind of go together um, Yeah All right back to uh, This Moonshot thing um, I Liked what Jackie said about Like getting a, a foot in the door And I do think that What this thing did Last week more than anything was get a lot of people's foot in the door of advocacy. So many people made calls for the first time who had never called their representative. And um, I think that should be like something that we think about. How can we get even more people to do something that they've never done before? Oh, Okay, hey, CL, I'll bring you on. Hi. Is that you Sandy. Yes. Yeah.
10: Hi. Um, I just wanted to say
0: hey, Welcome.
10: <laughs> thanks. I just wanted to add to that. Um, one thing that we saw from what people reported back to us um, when they logged their calls um, was that so there were a few people who um, were able to speak to um con- congressional staffers and you know had really good conversations. Um, I was struck by the fact that several people said that the staffer had never heard of long COVID before or didn't know anything about long COVID or even that there were long COVID bills. You know, I think a lot of um, maybe people are always aware that, you know, I mean, there's so many bills in Congress. And so the staffers um, sometimes like, you know, they get divvied up between the staffers to like read them. And often it gets some some of that gets done kind of, I think, at the last minute, and so, um, just just letting um, the people answering the phones know that there is legislation out there, and also that we're asking for um, uh, more money for research for long COVID, um, I think was really valuable. And just to even let them know like what long COVID is. I think um, it really struck me that people um, seemed really unaware, and I think that's a reflection of you know our societies at large that people. Um, you know, I think it's a lot easier to sort of like, quote unquote, move on from the pandemic, which we're actually still in the middle of, um, and um, so that people um, don't have to think about it anymore. And so, um, and when there's really still this risk out there of people, um, with with more and more infections, um, the risk increases of getting on COVID. So, um, I think it's really important to get that message out there. Um, I did also noticed that a couple of people um, who answered the phone um, were very well aware or very familiar with long COVID. One of the staffers said that they had actually had long COVID symptoms um, for some time. And so, you know, obviously they're functional enough to be working um, as a staffer, but that that struck me. And then another one said that their mother had long COVID. So, um, you know, I think that was... um, I think it's really important uh, for us to connect with, if we can manage to get through to a human being, um, I think it's really important to make that connection. And, um, you know, I think uh, just to let people know who are unaware of of long COVID in the first place, just so so basically educating people, but also making these connections um, with people who may know someone with long COVID. And, you know, the fact is, I think most people probably know, maybe at least one person with long COVID but are not aware that they have either the person themselves is not aware that they have long COVID and they, oh I just keep having these like weird symptoms um or um they haven't told people um I mean I, I for example have a friend who for the longest time kept thinking she had something else you know she was I think as many people are like you know told that she had um functional neurological disorder you know she was told it was psychological and i kept this is before i got long covid i kept telling her no your symptoms are entirely consistent with long covid and um i think you really you should go see someone about this and um you know she kept on kind of like putting it off putting it off and kind of not wanting to think that she has long covid uh, because i'm the only person she would talk to about it right because I've I've been following, like, the science and stuff. And so um, it's only very recently that she's finally been like, okay, yeah, I really do think I have long COVID. And, you know, since then, I got it, unfortunately. And so, um, uh, yeah, so I think it's really, um, there's a lot of, I think, just denial out in the air in our society right now. Um, And I think just the more we can... You know, talk to our electeds about it. The more, hopefully, we can get the message out there and um, and get some funding for research. But um, I was overall just so amazed and excited at all, how every all the people who did call um, uh, really just were able to do do their part and jump in. And um, you know, it can be intimidating. And I think especially leaving a phone message. I hate leaving phone messages because. I tend to ramble as you may notice now, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's just such a, an important thing that we could all kind of with our limited, um, capacities, um, manage to to pull this off and to really start to make some waves. Um, and so I hope that we can continue to do that.
0: Yeah, those are some awesome stories. Uh, to call and, and make such a connection that they revealed like what's going on with long COVID in their own network is, is wild actually. And I, I, I you know, I, you were saying that like, you can't tell who has long COVID, but probably everyone knows somebody. I think that's right. And I'm not sure that's anything special about long COVID, but just the fact that it's an invisible illness and people don't go around, you know, talking about their invisible illnesses. Usually that's, like, not polite conversation. So, um, like, I, you don't know how many people have, like, Crohn's disease in your network, probably. Um, I think long COVID is similar. But um, there, may, there may be an additional component to that. And Lisa, I saw you came on. Hi, Lisa.
11: Hi. Um, I just wanted to echo what um, Ciel was just saying, um, that, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of us are really frustrated and angry with the lack of progress um, congressionally and, and in government. Um, and so it can be easy to like get angry with representatives, I feel. Um, but really like this is such a good opportunity for us to educate them on what long COVID is and to really tell our story. Um, and so I, I think it was like a positive thing overall um and i'm sure folks were like you know hopefully nice but um just something i've learned with the few offices i've interacted with is like they rely on us to tell them what the issues are and like what our experience is um and so it's really important for us to share our stories to share what barriers we're facing um, And to give them kind of a lay of the land and like, this is the situation because, you know, they have so many issues that they're covering and we're the experts in, in what's happening to us. And so they do want to hear from us. They want to hear our stories and really using this as an opportunity to educate them um, and share, you know, what matters to the community is, is really what's most important. So I think that's that can also help with the intimidation factor. I think like going into these calls, knowing that you're the expert and that they actually do want to hear from you and what your experience is and how they might be able to help um, solve. You know, that's how bills get drafted is um, in partnership with people experiencing um, conditions and. Um, You know, that's how we get to solutions. It's not just a staffer coming up with, you know, a solution on their own. It's really in partnership with community. And um, so I I think that hopefully, you know, these calls will be the, um, will open the door to a lot more conversations and really establishing those relationships that are going to be necessary for us to get what we need and, and what we deserve.
0: Yeah. Um, Lisa, from your perspective, do you think, like, just continuing to make calls is the way to go, that we, we were successful with that, got a lot of people involved, and it, like you were saying, it it's how this process goes, that, like, that's just where we should be putting in our energy?
11: Um, I think for for Congress, probably, I mean, I'm actually, I'm not an expert in, like, how to mobilize Congress, Um by any means, it would be cool to have like, because, you know, some of these calls are turning into meetings. And, um, you know, I think there's a way that we could probably leverage that where we're all making the same asks and have like, you know, some talking points and really prepare um, now patient advocates for like, what they can say to their rep. Um, but I, I, you know, I think from what I've heard, like, if you want to get through to Congress, those calls can really make a difference. But yeah, it depends on the ask. Um, So for funding for NIH, um, that's both taken care of by Congress, but first and foremost by HHS and their request um, in the president's budget. Um, So there's different targets for sure. But for Congress, I think, you know, calls and and establishing those relationships is a really important step that we should be doing, you know, as much as we really can.
0: Okay. It's not a bad thing to have some focus and build some experience and expertise in like one particular kind of action and get good at it. Uh, All right, Pete, I think you were next. Good to see you again. You joined us last time, I think.
12: Yeah. Hey, Daniel. Yeah, I've joined you a few times. Um, yeah, it's good to hear feedback of what happened. Um, but it was something that CL had said earlier on um, about people not recognizing that they have long COVID. And this has happened to me this week that um, my wife was in touch with um, a family member who we would kind of lost contact with. But when the symptoms that they were, that they had were described to us. We we're both like, it's long COVID. They've got long COVID. You know, like it seemed so obvious, you know, the things that were were happening. And she'd been to her GP and the GP had no idea. And just not recognizing these things. You know, like if it you know, like if, if any of us were the doctor and that person had come to us and we're like, oh, so you've got a problem when you stand up that your heart rate goes up and you get a bit dizzy and you're really lethargic and you've got no energy and you know all of these things that we are all like there you know we know what this is but the doctor's like well you know we'll do some some standard blood tests and we'll see what comes back and you know all of these things take forever to do and um you know it on your campaign i thought well i wonder i wonder if a campaign to try and make medics aware of of just the basics you know i wonder if there's a way to do that because um it's one thing that the patient not recognizing what they've got but it's another isn't it that the medic doesn't recognize what this might be as well and not not that there's like a great amount of treatments but some of the things that she has you know things like pots there are things that can be done but the doctor seemed completely unaware of the condition wondered what your thoughts are
0: Uh, Claudia, did you want to jump in on that?
4: Yeah, I can speak to that a little bit. That's something that's really important to us, too. Um, I can tell you my personal story. By the time I got it together to seek help eight months in, I had lost everything from being unable to work. I'm on Medi-Cal, which is California's socialized health care for people with no income. And my doctor screamed in my face that everything was in my head and that I was sick because I wanted to be Um, up to and including the fact that I couldn't walk for several weeks. My body was covered in hives. My throat closed. I had severe joint pain and degradation, Um, complete cessation of my period like it had never existed. Um, I went through hell. I had chronic cysts in uh, like styes all over both of my eyes for weeks. Um, It was just a nightmare and I couldn't get help because this was the only doctor that I could go to, and then I had a two-month waiting period to get referred to a different one. So one of the bills that we like, H.R. 1114, in the beginning part of it, it doesn't have any appropriations in it because it's not an appropriative bill. It's a spending directive, and what it is is asking when you spend the budgetary money that's already been decided on and carved out for the next fiscal year, Please prioritize educating doctors on long COVID and educating them on the other conditions that can come with long COVID so that they can tell the difference, so that they're not misdiagnosing you with something, so that they can shuttle you. You know, if you have the ME-CFS form of it, they can send you in that direction. If you don't have that form, they can send you. And then it has preference for people who it specifically, it specifically calls out making referrals to specialists like rheumatologists, neurologists, cardiologists, all of which I ended up being able to access six months later when I finally got a GP who believed me and who knew what I was going through because her son has long COVID. And she chose to go out and educate herself because her beloved athletic young son had many of the same symptoms that I do. And so for me, I do feel passionately about some of that legislation because it isn't about putting people on a cattle car and shipping them to this horrifying long COVID clinic where they'll never be treated again. And it isn't about shuttling money to other conditions. It's about helping people who have long COVID and being able to identify the things that come with it downstream like dysautonomia, you know, like the joint problems, like the eye problems, all these comorbidities that, you know, in America, it's really easy to get parceled out and these doctors don't talk to one another. So you have one guy working on your heart, one guy working on your brain, one guy working on your lungs, and they're not talking to one another and they need to. So that's part of why the beginning part of that, I think it is good legislation. It isn't. It's true that we need more funding and that that isn't asking for any more money. But without passing that, what we're going to say is, please fund doctors who don't care about long COVID please fund doctors that aren't going to refer you to specialists. Please fund doctors that aren't educated on the other things that can look like long COVID or that long COVID can cause. And I think that's wrong. And I think the way that some of that has been portrayed as some kind of a money grab, completely disregarding the way that it affects all federally funded health centers, rural clinics, like the one I go to urban Indian clinics, Um, You know, I think that that's just really a shame because I really like that piece of legislation. And that is the one that Ayanna Presley is helping to promote and that she helps to write. So I did not have any input on that bill. I didn't read it until this year. My brain wasn't online enough to start reading legal documents again until this year. But I like that part of it a lot.
0: So that's my stump. Thanks, Claudia, that your personal story is wild, that you had such visible symptoms and were still dismissed. It, it's uh, it's telling. Um, Pete, I thought it was a good question. And, you know, I think with the moonshot, we were, were focused on research, but, like, really immediately what we need is to be taken seriously by our doctors. And uh, it's certainly been my experience that if I go to a, any doctor off the street um, you know any any primary care doctor? They don't know what the hell I'm talking about, and they're not interested. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Pete.
12: Yeah, and and thank you, Claudia, for that um, uh, you know explanation of what's happened to you and the information about the legislation. But um, you know, I'm I'm speaking as someone in England, and a lot of the legislation, of course, is is American, and you know it it, it it's good that these things are you know being brought to the fore but i just wondered like internationally if there's some you know because we we're obviously much bigger collectively internationally and this problem exists everywhere doesn't it so you know i'm i wondered if like you know i'm this is something as an add on rather than something as a substitute for what's being done but is there something that that I don't know. I don't know how this could come about. I mean, I, I spoke to Dr. Claire Taylor about these things in a space that I did with her and she'd actually prepared some information that could be passed to a, another doctor, but it had to be in a way that was like um, doctor to doctor so, you know, she wouldn't give it to me to pass to another doctor because it was too um, I, I don't know but too sensitive maybe but you know so the the problem is everywhere and the legislation is american and so like that's what i was wondering how how do we is there a way of you know broadening these things um
10: well one thing that um, i know that at least one group that patient group that um was involved in helping to get um that bill, the one that Ayanna Presley un- introduced, um, getting that bill drafted. Um, they are pretty active in um, physician education, I believe, and so they do like sessions where patients um, will um, provide some education to doctors about long COVID. So I don't know if there's um, if there is if there are any groups in the UK that are like um, patient based. Um, long COVID groups that could begin an initiative to start to um, make contacts with doctors and and start to hold sort of like um, information sessions with them um, and pre- present some of the, um, you know, in, in a simplified way, but pre- present some of the science to these physicians. Um, because it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree it's such a huge problem. I, I feel like, you know, as I said, my friend, um, I mean, she still doesn't have a diagnosis long COVID, but like I, I'm convinced that the only reason I didn't get a lot more nonsense flung at me is because, you know, I have a scientific background and I would tell them once they start, like one doctor asked me if I had been feeling stressed and I immediately <laughs> was like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. And, and told her that, um, we were not going down that road. In fact, no, I was not feeling stressed, but um, my symptoms were not arising because of that. And so I think it's, um, yeah, I feel like there needs to be a lot more doctor education. And, you know, of course, that you know, as Claudia said, that's included in, in some of the legislation in the US, but I mean, that's across the board worldwide. I think there needs to be much more education. And unfortunately, I think that, um, it's a lot of it is going to fall to the patients um, to begin to really push for more education. Um, I, I think unfortunately there's also just this, um, I think there is a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Like, you know, a lot of people with long COVID, um, you know, their tests come back normal, you know? And so I think that um, then because they don't see something measurable, or if, if you, they do see some physical symptom, but, you know, they can't piece it together in their differential diagnosis, um, it, they just dismiss it. Um, there could be a lot of reasons why they do that. Um, I won't go into the, all the psychology, but yeah, I think it's, um, uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to be partially up to patients to really push for that. Lisa? Um, Yeah, I just
11: wanted to speak to one of the um, efforts. So Project ECHO, which is funded by CDC, but they do global webinars. So they do medical education. The global webinars are largely focused on low to middle income countries, but I feel like they're um, really well done and it's a really awesome model. And that can be sent to healthcare providers um, around the world. They're live Every month, but they have all the recordings online. Um, and so that's it's like the global SILC program, something I think that's what it's called. Um, so that's one option. But then I agree that, you know, I think patients are really pushing the way forward here. Um, about maybe a year and a half or two years ago now, um, long COVID physio. Put together this really awesome international um, virtual medical education um, symposium. And that was, it brought together, I, th- I think it was like, it was at least hundreds, I think thousands of healthcare providers around the world. And stuff like that, that's organized by patient groups, can be really impactful and create material that can then be used later on. Um, So in the absence of not knowing how to handle it at a systemic level, like at least patients can um, come together and put together those types of things. Um, And I think that's largely where we've been seeing most of the medical education coming from is patient groups um, putting it together. But I have seen it, you know, there's been a few global um, efforts. And so I'd look at the global Silk, and that's Project ECHO. And then C-Long um, COVID Physio is an example of something that, you know, maybe another one um, could be put together.
0: Peter, you can go ahead.
12: Oh, thanks, Daniel. Thank you, Lisa, for that and CL for you, your, your comments as well. And, um, yeah, I agree, Lisa, The these programs are, are going to be useful. I think it was the example where the patient, I mean, you, you, we talk about patients advocating for themselves and, and the patient often lead in the medic, and I think that's great, and that's how it's you know, it needs to be. But it's when the patient doesn't know. And um, you know, that, that requires the medic to recognize, you know, and a lot of cases the patient isn't able to advocate. And like CL you were saying, you know, why they were like, We're gonna go the down down the line of, you know, are you over anxious and stuff like that? In a lot of cases, people don't sort of realize they're being led down a particular route do they um and again i i I can't remember who said but it's uh, i think it was claudia i think it was you where you were saying that in in the system there it's like you go and see a cardiologist for this you go and see an endocrinologist for that you go and see a neurologist for someone you know and a rheumatologist and by the time you're done you know you're like years down the line especially here in the uk it's like you know if you need an appointment um I mean, we we waited like a year for a cardiology appointment for my daughter, um, and then we waited for a rheumatology appointment, and now we're waiting for an endocrinology appointment, and we're not really. I don't really feel like we're getting much closer to to um, to getting to the point where things are improved, and it's only what we've been able to do privately with people in the long COVID community and from listening to spaces like this and listening to people's experiences that you 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 pick up tips you learn from each other you 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 figure out a way forward but if you're that person who hasn't been lucky enough to be in these spaces and um to talk to others in the community you know you've just been isolated and listened to what's on the the news you don't even know yourself what what is wrong and it's that gap that we need to bridge somehow so that the um, medical provider is recognizing what's wrong with the patient rather than the patient having to lead it the other way but I think um, like Lisa said I think we might for the time being be in that that limbo status where we have to do that but I feel sorry for my family member that I mean it turns out she's actually had a stroke as well and they didn't recognize that even you have to go privately to have scans and stuff like that because you got pushed away and told them that that's not what happened. Uh, It's a real minefield, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, I agree with everything you said. It's painfully close to home. And I'm sorry you're going through it as well. Um, Frequently horizontal. Did you want to say something? Whenever you're ready. And uh, Olenka, you just came on if you wanted to
13: speak. Sure. I'm happy for uh, Frequently Horizontal to go first. Uh,
0: I think we just lost them.
13: Okay. Um, So I just wanted to say um, as we sort of figure out which way to move forward i think there seems to be sort of a desire among community members to sort of make it seem like every every advocacy group should be marching in the same direction and doing the same thing um Because, you know, we tend to sort of get bogged down in comparing the asks that different advocates are proposing and things like that. And I just I want us to remain cognizant of the fact that long COVID is an elephant. And, you know, you often get asked the question, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. And it's going to take a lot of people, a lot of groups, putting in a lot of bites to get at this problem. And so we don't necessarily all have to focus on the same thing. Um, So, you know, the question of why aren't we focusing on this? And why aren't we focusing on that? The truth of the matter is, is I don't know if anyone else here is a is a fan of parks and recreation, but Ron Swanson often has this thing that I that I often very often used in my career. Don't don't half-ass two things, whole ass one thing. And so um I just want us as we move forward, you know, if Moonshot is going to focus on sort of Looking at ways to creatively engage our politicians to get research funding, that can be our thing. And it's not that we don't acknowledge that you know, physician education is important because like I have MCAS and the first allergist that, and I had pretty severe MCAS. The first allergist that I went to told me that I could not possibly have mast cell activation syndrome because I don't faint when I eat. Um, and like anyone who is familiar with that knows that that is only like one part of MCAS. Um, or one presentation. So it's not that we're saying this isn't important. It's not that we're not saying, you know, all of these other parts of the elephant that require people to eat it aren't important. It's just we're all, we all have an energy limiting illness. We're all very low on spoons. And so it's just groups of people getting together trying to figure out how to help eat an elephant so that's all i got
0: uh i'm glad i ate dinner before this because i would have lost my appetite (laughs) no but I, i take your point about um about splitting up the work and and it's a it's a gift actually that we have so many people in so many on so many different teams basically um, approaching this differently and I, I appreciate that diversity um, frequently horizontal I'm still having trouble adding you as a speaker um, i i it's not personal it's Twitter all right did anybody else want to uh, say anything response to Olenka or anything else um i I think there's there's a challenge as well with having a lot of different teams working on it. You know, a big challenge that um, it we, we uh, I don't know, I, I come from an organizational behavior background. That's what I studied in graduate school. And there's this concept of process loss that when you're trying to coordinate um, either a team of people or or like teams of teams in an organization, uh, the more people you add and the more teams you add, the harder everything gets. And there's just a, a cost built into that of you have to talk more. You have to understand what other people are doing. You have to see how you fit in to it and how you can add on it instead of just doing duplicative work. And um, that, that never ends. It just gets worse as more people are involved. So, uh, you know, we can appreciate the diversity and be mindful of the process loss. Yeah, yeah, you can go ahead.
12: Yeah, I was just coming back to Alenka and what she said and uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I I wasn't suggested to do this as a as something different and change focus. Um it was just really something that that cropped up during the conversation in response to what others had said and you know and, uh, and the recent experience that I'd had this week. Um you know, so I'm not, <laughs> trying, not trying to change anybody's course of direction just um thinking what what else could we do to raise awareness that's really all uh they really all always mean him
0: yeah and i think awareness writ large serves us all the more people are aware of long covid the more likely doctors are to be aware of it and then the more likely uh members of congress are to be aware of it and so on and so forth so uh, awareness is probably an elephant that we can all uh, push in the same direction Am I working with that analogy correctly? I doubt it. Uh eat in the same direction? No, that doesn't make any sense.
4: I think we have to start eating at the four corners and work our way toward the middle.
0: Oh, like um uh like Lady in the tramp style, but four Yes.
4: It's not gonna be a Bella note, but we're going to meet in the middle of the <laughs> elephant.
0: Yeah. Uh, hi, Deborah. Did you want to speak?
14: Hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak. Um, it's refreshing. Um, and I was intrigued to hear you say that it's important that we all speak together because that's not been happening. And I just want to point out, and I put it in the nest, that at least three people um, who were part of this have blocked me because two weeks ago... I just asked a question that was in good faith, and I'm a long COVID person from Canada, and they have blocked me, um, Brie, Claudia, and Mamacita, and it wasn't meant in any any bad faith. It was in absolute good faith. My question was why one person said that that your moonshot was tied to legislation and the other person immediately came up and said they weren't and i thought we were all supposed to be together helping each other um and to get blocked like that and so your space last week daniel um, i couldn't get in to listen now um i might not agree with your tactics but we're all supposed to be in this together and when you say that it it really breaks my heart because i have cognitive issues due to my long COVID and the people in your community blocking me because, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, because I ask a genuine question, I just don't think that's fair. I see Brie has her hands up. So she's maybe going to try to say why she blocked me, but you know, um, can we all just stop doing this? It's just, so hateful and painful. Thanks for the microphone. I'm dropping down.
0: All right, yeah. Thanks for joining, Deborah. And uh, I do remember you being there last week. So, uh, thanks for coming back, uh, Bree.
9: Hi. Yeah. So um, I do want to address this, and and maybe um, provide some of my personal. Experience and shed light onto that over the last couple weeks, and then also discuss maybe my perspective on how I'm not part of Moonshot, so how this was presented to me and how I'm viewing things as well. So, first, I'll deal with the legislation thing. I'm and clarifying that I'm not part of Moonshot, I'm not part of anyone except this overall community, and I didn't have any knowledge or participation in this other than it being dropped to the community and um, supporting it. So I perceived it as the legislation is not tied to Moonshot in this, in the meaning that these legislative bills that are on some of the flyers or You know, graphics or whatever are not the legislation that would be linked to Moonshot and would not be the Moonshot legislation that would be written and hopefully um, compiled with lots of community input. Um, And that legislation would then be presented, you know, in the future, tying to Moonshot and our monetary request. The legislation to me is already on the docket, already in litigation and being reviewed and was something that was presented together with the moonshot as information and saying, hey, here are these bills, review them, they're currently in the docket. When you call your senators about the moonshot, maybe mention these and some other items that you would like to reference in your calls regarding COVID. That's how it was presented to me. That's what I... Um, you know, read those flyers as, and that's how I presented my phone call to my senators and my emails as well. I included the, um, the moonshot demands, what I thought I needed from that. And then also these bills. And I did express some concerns about these and what else is needed in future legislation. So that's just how I took it. And now Daniel, can I address the other issue about my, our the blocking thing, or would you rather not, not be discussed
0: uh, it's fine with me as long as you follow the rules.
9: Yep. Okay. So I blocked several people, countless people, including um, Deb and others who were exhibiting hateful speech, um, condescending spaces, and um, things that I do not tolerate in my personal life. And over the last couple of weeks. And also, as a general statement, I don't know, I don't owe anyone access to me that I don't want to give in my personal life, and on social media in particular. So if I block someone based on how they're acting, the things that they're saying is how I would act and treat that person in real life. So when I see hateful speech and hateful behavior, I don't want to see it on my feed, and that's why I've blocked people the last three weeks or so. Thank you for letting me speak, Daniel.
0: Yeah, sure. Kim? Kim?
9: Yep, I just wanted to
15: um, let people know, because people can't, we just can't see everything that happens online. And the other week, something hateful was done towards another long hauler. And I just want to say that Deborah stood up to that and said it wasn't okay. And I just wanted to let people know that in case they didn't see that. Um, And I'm, you know... Deborah and I, we just, she puts her Wordle stuff on there and I'll put mine on there. It's not like I know her super, super well. But I just wanted to let people know that she stood up to something that was really hateful the other week. And she didn't have to stand up. I mean, we need people to stand up against hateful things. And she did. So I just want to let people know that in case they didn't see it. Um, And then the only other thing I will say, uh, as I do understand why people do tend to block, because I get, again, I was talking to with some people today, our autonomic nervous system took a shot with COVID, right? And we're kind of all, uh, for me anyway, once my autonomic nervous system kicks in and I have a high heart rate for whatever reason, it's like it doesn't want to come down. It kind of is stuck up there. And so I think that that's sometimes why people will tend to block because it's just uncomfortable when when your system is stuck on high, your heart rate's high, right? It's just an uncomfortable feeling. So I guess I would say, don't always take a block completely to heart because it could just be that that person really needs their space to be you know, at a low level, very, very calm, and and that's just what they need for their own well being. But anyway, I just wanted to let people know again because we can't see everything, and and Deborah really did stand up to something that was, in my opinion, really awful last week. Thanks.
0: Yeah, thanks, Kim. Um, I, I know it's been a stressful time for the community recently, and um, it's hard to hard to see some uh, friendships get strained and. Uh, people's feelings get hurt. I I think part of it, um, you know, is just Twitter. Twitter puts the onus of content moderation on the users and uh, that we're not, like, trained content moderators and we have to, like, moderate each other. It's, uh, It's stressful and it leads to stressful outcomes. Charlie? You can go ahead if you want.
16: Hey there, uh, Daniel. Thanks for hosting this again. Uh, sorry I came late. I took a nap at four o'clock and I woke up like, I don't know, a little bit ago. Um, but I'm here. Uh, I, I wanted to know if you guys talked about the feedback we got about from the Senate that Kane's bill, they're only accepting co-sponsors, one Republican and one Democrat at a time. Did you guys touch base on that?
0: No, we haven't talked about that. Can you say more about it?
16: Yeah, I thought that was super interesting, right? Because, I mean, a lot of the feedback, I think, from folks, which, to be honest, it was really hard to parse what questions about the bills were in good faith and what were not, particularly since these bills have been around pretty much all year. And so for folks to just start criticizing them now seems a little odd, but maybe this is the first time they're hearing about them. But I think also the uh, reading the the legislation, I think, for folks, for maybe for the first time is, yeah, it can be underwhelming because a lot of the stuff we want is not in them. And that's partially why there's this call for a moonshot, a research fund, because that's what we want, right? And none of the current legislation currently has that. I think why that might be is because right now, most of the bills that are being introduced into Congress, and particularly the um, the Senate bill, it had to be stripped down again just because of the political realities that are going on in in the Senate and and in the house. And the fact that the political dynamics are so fraught that they won't even accept another democratic co-sponsor without another Republican co-sponsor speaks volumes, I think, to that dynamic. Um, And so I think what in the future might be helpful about these initiatives is I think we just need to have a little bit more uh, kind of, clarity and and frankness about what the political context is behind some of these initiatives because i think when folks start saying well this isn't good enough we need this and anybody who's not supporting this is is selling us down the river or whatever there needs to be two conversations of one what do we want and what can we do and i think the fact that we can't even get an a, a sole Democratic sponsor without another Republican sponsor right now speaks volumes to the dynamics of what we can do. And we know that Republicans are not going to pass anything that has healthcare spending tied to it. And so a lot of the things that we want are the things that we can't have right now. And so um, I just thought I didn't realize things were were that strict that Kane didn't even want another Democratic sponsor without a, another Republican sponsor coming with them because otherwise, um, you know, it's going to immediately be perceived as too partisan to be viable. So I don't know, I just thought that was interesting. And I think the political dynamics of all of this are are, are terrible, right? Like it, it, COVID is one of the worst words you can say in Congress right now. And I, I think for, for a lot of the even for me, it's, it's still resonating to how fraught the issue is. And I just thought that was some interesting feedback that we got during that. And, and that was great that we got that. And I think that was one of the best things about uh, last week is just how much, you know, relationships were built between uh, patients and the representatives and, and being able to, uh, you know, make, make progress on, on, on that front and, 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 collecting all this great information for, for moving forward.
0: Um, what do you think we do about that? And, and just to read that back to you, like the, the issue is the House is controlled by the Republicans. So the senators realize that and they know anything that's going to get through Congress has to be bipartisan. So they're basically putting a premium on Republican co-sponsors. Like, does, does that inform our strategy in any way? Should we just like focus on calling our Republican uh, legislators and like getting the word out to red States and red districts.
16: I mean, that's the question, right. And that is above my pay grade. And I think we're kind of getting into the territory where we really need real political experts, right. Real, real lobbying experts and, to, and, 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 uh, and experienced organizers to kind of, help us navigate this terrain because it is complicated and it's not like advocating for a rare disease which is completely most of the time non-partisan and neutral um uh it was great to hear from um Olenka's uh partner last week and i think like that was one of my main takeaways is that we really need to uh we're getting to a point where i think we need a little bit more seasoned perspective on some of these things because it is i think Uh, complicated. And that was my thought process too, is that maybe we, the the focus then is, do you, do you try and find another, you know, sympathetic Republican, you know, for this, for this cause? And is there, you know, a strategy that funnels into, into that, you know? Yeah. I mean, my question is the same to you and I don't know, I don't have the answer that's for sure, but I'm curious.
0: Yeah, maybe we need to go get that answer before uh, we spend a lot of the community's energy on something that, um, you know, we have to believe in it if we're going to be asking people to um, use their limited energy to work for it. So maybe it's worth doing some like work on that. Um, Okay, we are at the end of the hour. I'm sorry to the handful of folks who requested to speak that I didn't get to, especially to frequently horizontal Uh, just technical difficulties and um, it makes me dislike Twitter. Uh, Okay. So just last couple of announcements. Um, Thank you to all of our speakers. This was a great conversation. Um, I think there will be some talk among the uh, Moonshot team that put together the original Moonshot uh, action last week about where they want to go next. But I know they wanted to hear – Um, from the community about uh, how how things went. So I think this was a good uh, forum for that. Next week, uh, I have something interesting planned, but can't uh, announce it yet because I need to confirm with someone that uh, we're going to be able to do it. But then in um, a couple of weeks, we're going to do a film discussion of The Hunger Games, which uh, was what one in the poll I posted. Um, so hopefully everyone's interested in watching or re-watching that. And we'll see how we can uh, relate it to long COVID and advocacy. Um, I think it... We'll, we'll just see how it goes. If, it's, uh, if, it, if there's nothing interesting to talk about on that, we'll find something else interesting to talk about. But uh, it's a fun movie. And... Um, Have a good Thanksgiving if you're in the U.S. Um, I know, as uh, I think Claudia said, that the holidays are a fraught time for us because we're not able to participate as fully as um, we used to be able to participate in these activities. But I I hope you're able to spend some time with family and find some meaning uh, in this time. Okay, Uh, see you all next week and uh, stay safe until then.